0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's really good to be here worshiping with you this morning. Uh, I don't know if it was the extra hour of sleep I got. but um, So I'd just like to welcome all of you here. And uh, my name is Nat Marshall. And I'm one of the lay elders here. And as part of that, I've gotten to preach, uh, I think, twice over the last year. <laughs> and so I'm not usually the one up here on Sunday mornings, but kind of approaching here this week, it was just going through my mind how much things have changed since the early days. Um, Like if I think back to the beginnings of our church, um, I never would have envisioned being up here to preach the word of God. Um, I frankly would have been too afraid. I probably wouldn't have had much to say, and I would have said, no thanks. And besides, in those days there wasn't a need for it as far as I knew. And, and, But I do remember in those years, from time to time our pastor, the founding pastor of this church was Ed Marcel, Pastor Ed. Um, he would talk about change and he would talk about how we needed to be willing to grow and change if we were going to be serving God. And that God would be calling us to new things, individually and as a church. And um, he would even say things like, "About as a church, we don't want to become a museum. We don't want to just freeze time and become this museum that depicts a former time." And and so, as individuals, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we find He's changing us. And 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 so, as I stand here today, doing this thing that I never really wanted or envisioned that that I would be doing. I can just say and encourage you, don't be afraid of whatever new thing God is going to call you to because the constant is Jesus. And when you get there, Jesus will be there with you. So um, so we're going to look at Ruth. We're going to jump back in with chapter four. I think this is a kind of a cool part of the book. We're going to enjoy the story, uh, but more importantly than that, we're going to see how it can point us to Jesus. And um, so as, a, as part of a recap of where we've been, I made a couple of visuals. If you want to go to the first map, I just like maps. So I thought maybe a few of you like maps too. We started with this family in Bethlehem. And yeah, it's that Bethlehem, the one that we all know of from the uh, you know, that night when Jesus was born. and But that wouldn't happen for a thousand years. So this, this is a thousand years before that night that we all know about um, with the manger. Um, but it's the same, same town, same family, actually, the same family line. Uh, we have this family, Naomi and Elimelech, the parents, and they have two boys. And... What happens is famine comes, and there's no food, so they travel all the way to Moab, and that's you know across the Dead Sea and far away. It's a foreign land, and it's actually one of the traditional enemies of their, their people, their homeland. And so while they're there, the two sons marry two women. Uh, these are Moabite women, so kind of foreign women. Um, They get married, and then long story short, what happens? Naomi experiences a lot of losses. She loses her husband. He dies. uh, The two sons die. Um, Orpah doesn't die, but she decides to stay in Moab when Naomi says, I just got to go back home. I'm just going back to Bethlehem. And uh, Ruth says, I'll go with you. And that's kind of a poignant moment there. We talked about that uh, maybe a month or so ago. So they all, uh, Ruth and Naomi, go back to Bethlehem, and that's where the rest of the story has taken place. Um, Naomi comes back. She says, empty, bitter. She, her name actually, Naomi, means pleasant. Uh, but she says, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me bitter. Um, she's come back with nothing. But we found out. She wasn't completely empty. She actually had Ruth with her. And, and as we've come to know, you know, Ruth turns out to be pretty awesome. And Ruth is like a, a noble woman of character, and she shows all this love and devotion. And in fact, the way that we've kind of angled this study of Ruth as a church this, this time, there's a lot of ways you could look at a story like this in the Bible. Uh, we've seen, we've looked at where we can see examples of different aspects of love Um, love exemplified, and a lot of this has been through Ruth. We've seen through Ruth uh, enduring love, courageous love, and so on. Um, We've also seen examples through another person, Boaz. And so Boaz, sorry he didn't make my chart, um, but Boaz is a man that uh, Ruth met back in Bethlehem and we've come to see him as a generous, kind. Um, he, he stands out. He stands out in the surrounding culture. He's, he's got character, integrity. He's, he's shown a lot of love. And Ruth also stands out. And, and today, what we'll see through Boaz, among other things, is what I'll call a prudent love. Prudent love. So the main idea, is going to be this. Boaz's prudent love in securing redemption for Ruth and Naomi can point us to Jesus. We'll go through three three main points. We'll see the Redeemer working. We'll see the Redeemed waiting. And then we'll see how it can reflect Jesus. So, prudence. What is prudence? Uh, the first Google hit says... Uh, Acting with or showing care and thought for the future. It can also mean showing good judgment. It can mean it. It can have an idea of shrewdness in it. Even we can look at a few proverbs that mention uh, prudence. Proverbs fourteen eight: the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. Fourteen fifteen: the prudent gives thought to his steps. 1019, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And so there, there's the idea of a carefulness, a thoughtfulness, um, but we're not just talking about like some cold, logical carefulness, but, but a prudent love. So, so how can you apply that same care and thoughtfulness um, into and put that into love, showing love to another person. So that's what we'll. That's what we'll start to see here. We'll see. Lo, uh, Boaz is going to do the careful work to become the redeemer that ends up rescuing Naomi and and Ruth from from their situation. And in that culture, this was, this was, this was called redemption. <laughs> this was called being being a redeemer. Um, and. We'll see that Boaz actually cares whether this works out. He's invested, he wants it to work out, and so he takes the care to, to do it in such a way that it does. Okay. Um, kind of to wrap up our re- recap, we've, we, we've seen Boaz enters the picture. Some months go by maybe, and it becomes clear eventually that Ruth wants to marry Boaz, Boaz wants to marry Ruth. Uh, But it's not just a love story. It's not just about personal feelings. Uh, Boaz can also function as what's known as a kinsman redeemer. And we had, we've talked about this already, we we had to bridge some cultural gaps over the last few weeks to get there. Because this was 3,000 years ago around the world, right? So a a kinsman redeemer was somebody that could act on behalf of a needy relative, essentially. And there's a few things they could do. They could... um, they could buy land, redeem land, to keep land and property back in the family. Um, they could redeem somebody out of slavery. Um, they could also do this, this idea of marrying a widow to keep the family line going of, of her dead husband. Um, so this is starting to get arranged. Boaz and Ruth, this is gonna happen, we think. Um, but just when it was almost all about to work out, there was a plot twist that we saw the other week in, back in Chapter 3 because we found out uh, there's actually this other guy that kind of has first place. He has the right to be the redeemer for Ruth and Naomi, and it's not Boaz. Boaz is, like, second, right? So he, Boaz, doesn't, Boaz can't just do this, um, And he says things like, It is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. And so finally we arrive here today at the gate. The gate of Bethlehem in chapter 4. and with this gate, don't, don't picture like an aluminum fence around a pool or something. This is, picture a, a big brick wall around a city, ancient city, and this, is, this gate is the main passageway through. And um, in those days, this was like the hub. This was where business took place. This is where transactions were made. It was a place of judgment. So it was kind of like a combination, maybe courthouse and a, and a town hall. Now, verse 1, I think we have a slide. It says, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. Sitting down in those days was like taking a position of authority. You can kind of picture a judge coming into the courtroom and sitting down. Or um, I, re- I remember in, when, right before Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, like the best sermon of all time, uh, he went up on the mountain and he sat down and people gathered around and then, he, then he's taught. And so Boaz goes to the gate, the epicenter of activity, and he sits down. And so we start to think, this guy means business. Something's going to happen. What's going to happen? Let, let's pay attention. And, and in fact, it does generate a stir. It kind of causes a buzz. Um, if you look at the whole, the whole thing, beginning of verse 1, we have one guy there. Then we have two guys. Then we have 12 guys there. And by the end of verse 11, it talks about all the people who were at the gate. So there's a growing excitement of what's going on there today. And then continuing in the verse, it says, And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by just so happened to come by. Uh, It's almost like the author sort of winks at us here. We've seen this happen a couple chapters ago as well. Some of the other, it just so happened. And these things are kind of hinting that these are not accidents. This is the sovereign providence of of God working out out all things for good. Um, Okay, so he comes by and Boaz says, "'Turn aside, friend. Sit down. And this other guy that comes by, this other redeemer, um, I didn't put him on my chart either, but if I did, what, what name would I put? Uh, what's his name? It's got to say in here, right? Uh, turns out he's unnamed. Um, and I think it's significant because in this, in this day and in this time when, in this culture... When uh, names were so significant, and uh, even Naomi said, "Don't call me Naomi anymore because I'm not pleasant. Call me call me Mara. Call me bitter." Isn't it significant that this other Redeemer would remain unnamed? And and um, now I don't speak Hebrew, but I've read that the word friend here, when he says turn aside, friend, it actually means something more like so-and-so, or like Mr. So-and-so, right? And so the fact that he's unnamed, most people think it's kind of a jab, like a subtle jab. And the fact is he'll go into history unnamed because of what happens here this morning, uh, because of what he didn't do. Because it's we'll see that Boaz is the one that, makes the bold moves for the one that he loves. Uh, Boaz puts these things into action. Boaz uh, shows the wisdom and and care. Boaz knows what needs to be done and how to do it. And Boaz shows the prudent love. And and this other redeemer doesn't do those things. So he will fade. He'll miss his chance. Um, It seems he was oblivious to Ruth. it seems that he doesn't even know about Ruth, let alone love her. Yet the whole town knows about Ruth and Naomi. We, we have hints of that in the previous chapters. The whole town's been abuzz since those two came back. And, and Ruth's character is well known. She's got a good reputation in town. And, and Boaz knows all this. Boaz has been watching. and He's been attentive. Uh, but this other redeemer, Mr. So-and-so, he, he doesn't know. Um, it seems somehow he's learning about it all for the first time this morning at at the city gate. And um, just as a side note, for me, this point was a little convicting that I I would like to try to be more attentive to what's going on around me with the people around me. Uh, So that's kind of just a side point, maybe. But okay, verse 2 he, Boaz, took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So he gathers ten guys, sits them down. These are going to be witnesses so that what happens here at the gate, it's not going to be disputed later because we have ten witnesses. And this is part of the prudence. Uh, Boaz is wisely setting things up so that what happens this morning at the gate will be beyond dispute verse 3. Then he explains to the redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I'd tell you of it and say, it, in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know for there's no one besides you to redeem it and I come after you. So here we could wait in suspense because it seems like everything hinges on this moment. Um, at this point in the story, we're invested. We want Boaz, we want things to work out for with Boaz. Um, he's the one that's shown the, the generosity and the love, and we want him to be the one, not this one that we barely know and that doesn't even know Ruth. Um, but he has first priority, and he's just been given the chance, and what's he going to say? And at the end of verse 4, it turns out he says, I will redeem it. And it's like, don't. <laughs> this is not, it's not supposed to be like that. Uh, that's not what we want. It doesn't seem like what Ruth wants or what Boaz wants, and yet yet he just said, oh, this other guy's going to redeem it. So how can that be? But Don't worry because Boaz has a little bit more shrewdness. He's got another detail to reveal. Um, Because one of the things that a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer could do was the marriage, the leveret marriage thing in that culture where you married a widow. And it turned out that that was what was needed here. We think Naomi was too old to bear children by this point probably, Um, but there's Ruth. And Ruth has lost her husband, and the family line needs to be carried on. So that's what is called for, for a, a good kinsman redeemer, right? But, and, and everyone knew this, uh, the, this other redeemer should have known it, but Boaz waits for this moment to bring it up in the negotiations. He says, verse 5, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. This all can seem kind of weird to us, um, but the important thing to know is things have just, the picture's just changed for Mr. So-and-so, this other redeemer. Um, Before it was going to be just about land, and he was going to buy land, um, take care of an aging widow, and basically keep the land in the end. But now he has to raise children with Ruth. Those kids are going to get the dead husband's name, not even get his name, and they're going to get the land in the end. So basically it got worse for him. There are consequences for this redeemer now. And he gets he gets practical, and he makes maybe the logical choice for him. Uh, one teacher I heard said he he checks with his accountant. And he realizes, like, this is going to be too costly for me. And he says, no, no. Because, you know, love for Ruth is not in the picture. So he says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take the right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So here we can legitimately rejoice with Boaz. Um, Things are working out. Um... But he did things right. Boaz didn't let his passions rule him. He didn't get impulsive last week or a couple weeks ago at that threshing floor in chapter three. Um, He could have, he could have let his passions rule, but no, he wanted, there was a purity there even in the midst of that. Um, He could have married Ruth without giving first opportunity to this other redeemer. Uh, but that would have been kind of circumventing the way it was supposed to be. And maybe things would have been disputed. It would have been improper, open to dispute. Um, Boaz could have forced things. But what he shows is a prudent love. And we see sometimes expressing, expressing love can mean showing restraint. Okay, so over the next few verses, you can see how they make it official, and Boaz is going to become the redeemer. Now, I want you to notice something from this scene. Ruth, the whole book is named after her. She's the protagonist of the story. She's the main character. Um, There's a lot to admire in Ruth. But she's not in this scene, is, is she? Like, if, if we were going to do a little church play this morning and act, act out the scene by the gate, uh, who would want to be Boaz, maybe John? I don't know. Um, we need some townspeople. <laughs> um, we don't need to find anyone to play Ruth, because she's actually not in this scene, surprisingly, right? And, um the Redeemer is. The Redeemer is hard at work. He, he's at the gate, getting witnesses, doing the negotiations. Um, he's active and working out the redemption. But the one who will be redeemed is waiting. And how do we know that? The last verse of the previous chapter, that's what she was told to do. Naomi said, wait, my daughter. And uh, so, do you think it was easy for her to be waiting? Um, I would guess she wants to go fix it and make it happen and and make sure things work out right we 've already she 's demonstrated her courage and her capability, but right now, her job is just to wait and that is hard <laughs> sometimes you 're waiting for something so like that you want so bad you can taste it right and Sometimes the consequences are big for us. Um, Maybe you're praying for something so hard that it just aches. Maybe you're agonizing for something in prayer. And it seems so obvious what the answer needs to be, but it's not happening yet. Uh, Maybe you're waiting for a test result. I know in school that can be hard. Medical test results can be even worse. Um, Maybe you're waiting for somebody that you love to know Jesus. Maybe you're waiting for somebody that you love love to be okay, to be healed. Maybe, Maybe you're waiting for an answer to loneliness. You're just checking for the text and the text isn't coming and you're like, Lord, uh," you know, and maybe there's an anxiety that you're not sure where it comes from, but you're waiting for a resolution to that. Um, There are times when there is something that we are crying out to the Lord for and we can't force it to happen. Aren't there? And so... We can know our Redeemer is at work, too. Our sovereign God is at work. Even when we wish we could jump in and force things to be a certain way, sometimes we're not even in the scene. But the Lord wants us to pray like that. He wants us to come to him, come to him with our intense longings. I mean, we read in Romans 8, it says we groan inwardly as we wait for our redemption. And then it says sometimes we don't even know what we should pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Sometimes that's all you can do. Sometimes all you can do is groan, uh, but he wants you to. Uh, but knowing that our Redeemer is at work, that's what we do. We, we're Christians. We trust God Sometimes trusting God is our role in the scene. Uh, we can trust Romans 8:28, famous verse that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. We can trust Proverbs like Proverbs 3:5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You know, we can lean on him who does not grow tired or weary. They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And sometimes that's our role, our role in the scene. Okay, back to the story. We find Boaz has done it. He's he's going to become the redeemer. The crowd has gathered. They've been watching. And then in verse 11, we come to this blessing. The, The elders and the crowd gives this blessing that at first, is really hard for us to even make sense out of because there's so many names in it. Um, But it's not that bad. Um, We find that this blessing points far beyond the scene. It looks back to God's providence. It looks ahead to what's to come. It actually points to Jesus. And so let's read it. Verse 11. um, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So it it takes a little work, to grasp this but not too much Um, Rachel and Leah that goes all the way back to Genesis 29 these were the mothers of the 12 sons of Jacob Uh, so the aka the children of Israel these were the the heirs to the promises given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob And, and this was the family line through whom the promised Messiah would come and uh, this blessing is basically saying, "Be like that. May you be like that." And And then it speaks of Perez. Perez I had to go back and look at this. It's Genesis 38. It's a very strange and unusual circumstances that this baby, Perez, was born. Um, but despite the weirdness, he grew up to become an ancestor of. Boaz, our man Boaz, and King David, and one day the Messiah, Jesus. Um, so the, this blessing of the, <coughs> excuse me, the, this blessing of the townspeople is saying, may you be like that. It's like saying, this was a crazy story, you guys, but there's something great about to happen. There's something big coming. Uh, there were twists and turns here at the gate and this other Redeemer and the famine and Moab. and But look at what's coming. And so we see pointers to Jesus. We see these shadows. Now we can see Jesus through it. For one day in this, in this same city, in the same family, the same family line, Jesus Christ would be born uh, to the Son of God becoming flesh to become the Redeemer of the world, to become our Redeemer. We, like Ruth, we were foreigners, excluded from the blessing of God. We were excluded by our own sin. Uh, Like Ruth and Naomi, we were in great need, we were in spiritual poverty. Like Boaz at the place of judgment, the gate, Jesus went to the ultimate place of judgment, the cross. And there our Redeemer Jesus has done the work to redeem us. He's paid the price. That other Redeemer backed out because it was going to cost him too much. Jesus didn't back out even though it cost him his life. Mark 10:45 Jesus spoke intentionally about what he came to do. He said, "The Son of man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." A ransom and, and he did it because he loved us. 1 John 3:16 By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And like Boaz was careful to work the redemption that day at the gate in a way that was undisputed, Christ's death for us was effective once and for all to save us. Hebrews 10.10, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 10.12, Christ had offered For all time, a single sacrifice for sins, and he sat down at the right hand of God. It was undisputed. There at the place of judgment, he accomplished the rescue in the only way possible. On the cross, by reconciling God's love for us and His holiness in our sin, and His love and holiness come together in Christ on the cross, providing redemption for our sin. So, uh, as the band comes up, I'll close with this. Um, In Ruth, we saw that other Redeemer who couldn't get the job done. In our lives, there are many things that cannot get the job done. Um, there are other redeemers like our own efforts, trying to perform, uh, maybe trying to follow the Ten Commandments, I don't know, um, trying to be true to yourself, uh, trying to find self-fulfillment, pursuing pleasure. None of these things can bring us redemption They will all fail, but Jesus succeeds where they all fail. Pleasure will not satisfy you. Self-improvement will not save you. Trying to meet some standard, whatever it is, it'll never be enough because salvation comes through Jesus Christ who gave his life as a ransom. So we can rejoice with this verse in 1 Peter 1 it says you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ let us pray Father thank you for providing that redemption thank you for giving your son to die for us Uh, thank you that in our poverty you have rescued us Uh, we love you lord and we're uh, we love you we're grateful for you in jesus name we pray amen